I want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to 1 Peter. Today brings us to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. So I'd wager that the majority of you uh, are on Facebook, maybe a few holdouts in this, in this room, shaking your head, no, Norma, I know you're on Facebook. Okay, Norma's been scammed. Well, I'd also wager that if you are on Facebook or have been on Facebook, you're a part of a Facebook group. Maybe it's like a knitting group, right? You show off your quilts or maybe your class of 77 high school group. I chose the year 77 because that seemed like a nice like range. Like mine is 2008, you know. I know some of y'all are like class of like 60 or whatever, you know, so 77 seems like a good middle. So maybe your class of 77 high school group or maybe like a Fellows Lake, you know, community. You know, there might be a Facebook group for that. There are all kinds of groups on Facebook. So I took it upon myself to help you all out and find groups that you should be a part of uh, by, by searching for the most ridiculous groups on Facebook, okay? I think some of you all probably belong in these. So if you like spending your days lounging on the couch or staying indoors, then you can join the I Hate the Sun group, a group for all those who just don't like the sun. You have blackout curtains at home, you know, napping is your favorite time of the day, that kind of stuff. Okay, if you like a clean toilet and uh, you really care about public sanitation, you can join a group dedicated to meet together to clean public restrooms. Uh, and if you do this, join this group, please let me know so that we can put you in our side room on Sunday mornings because we don't want you in here um, on Sunday mornings. I hate public restrooms. I really try to avoid them if I can. Uh, if you are really driven, okay, this, I, I know this is for some of you. If you're really driven and you want to get a lot done, you can join over one million other people who are obsessed with seeing how much they can get done before their microwave is finished cooking. Before the dean goes off, right? I'm sure you could write a book about it, right? The microwave-driven life. And then there's a group uh, called I Need to Sneeze, It's Gone. For those of you who love not sneezing, and you just want to share how much you love not sneezing. Uh, you know, this actually works. You know, I learned this from cartoons. If you sneeze and you hold your finger and nose, it does work. Or I think if you look at the ceiling or something like that. But if you don't like sneezing and you love the feeling of not sneezing, you can join this group. So my point today is really simple. Everybody's looking for community. There's not a human in existence that isn't created for community. The community of family, community of society, the community of organization or a club or faction... Even the guy who sits on his sofa all day and watches the news may not be motivated to go and find community, but he's designed for community. You may not care about community this morning. You may not think you need community, but the reality is you were designed and wired to be in community. To reject community is to reject what God created you for. And last week, at the end of chapter 1 in 1 Peter, we saw that because of our status change, God has called us to a lifestyle change. God has called us to holy lives. But God has not only called us to holy lives, but to holy community. 
As Christians, God has called us to holy community. In fact, one of the primary arenas where we practice personal holiness is within the community of believers. That is one of the primary arenas where we practice our holiness. is in community with one another. Being holy with and being holy toward other believers. So I want to take a look at Scripture today. These first 12 verses in chapter 2. And I want us to compare our church. I want us to hold Liberty Baptist Church, this body of believers, to scrutiny. Because God is calling us to holy community. And I want us to realize fully what God has called us to. And take steps toward that. So let's ask the question, what is a holy community? Let's look and read together. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-12. to So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. By the way, um, I asked Roger to put up the words on the screen so they may not match up with my translation. I don't know what translation was used, but you know, it's all the word of God the same. So just, just so you know, okay. Chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It can be a real challenge uh, to decide where you want your kids to go to school or how you want to educate your kids. So do you want to homeschool your kids? Uh, Do you want them to, to send them to a private school? Or uh, maybe the black sheep, what about public school? I I enjoyed my time in public school, uh, but I actually started off by going to a Catholic elementary school. My family's not Catholic, but my parents decided to send me there from first to sixth grade for, like, I guess a good education. And I made the switch to public school in the seventh grade. So right when everyone is reaching puberty... Uh, and here I come out of my innocent Catholic school bubble into the wild west of public school. 
The most valuable currencies at my school were whether you played football or baseball and how much camouflage you were wearing. None of which I did. I was a scrawny 80-pound city boy who played soccer, and not much has changed since then, although I don't weigh 80 pounds anymore. I'm a little bit, I'm a big boy now. But public school, it's funny, it did ruin a lot of my innocence about the world. I had to get a little rougher and a little tougher to hang in there. But God has called His people to an innocence to evil. Not rougher, but softer. Specifically, He's called us to a holy community that is tender-hearted. A holy community is tender-hearted. That's our, that's our first point. Peter starts this chapter by calling these believers to be innocent toward evil, right? Especially evil toward one another. Specifically, look, verse 1. Uh, innocence toward, so put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Remember last week in chapter 1, 1, 14, when Peter said, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, right? We saw, or I said that those Passions aren't just like things like sexual sin and drunkenness, but also things like slander and gossip. Exactly this list here that he mentions. And this list is specifically community-centric, right? Sins committed in community. Tom Schreiner said of these that the sins listed here tear at the social fabric of the church ripping away the threads of love that keep them together. So the focus in these verses is on conduct toward one another. Don't harbor malice. Ill will toward another believer. Even if that believer provokes you to anger. Even if that believer provokes you to anger by an opinion they hold on politics or COVID or the vaccine. Don't harbor malice. Don't deceive, right? Don't uh, color the truth or, or whitewash sins. Repent of hypocrisy. When, when you use deception to make yourself look different than you really are. Hypocrisy is looking different on Sunday morning than you do the rest of the week or different in public than you do in private. Don't envy. Which not only means desiring what others have, which... Yes, it's possessions, right? I want this person's possession, that person's possession. But also their status, or their power, or their influence. But envy is also preferring your own advancement over the joy of others. That's envy. But don't envy. And don't slander, right? Don't assign the worst false motives to another believer. Don't spread false stories or, or disparage or put another believer down. And I see Christians do this all the time on social media. The willingness we have to assign the worst possible motives to a fellow believer. Instead of these, Peter commands these believers to be like, verse number two, verse two newborn infants who long for the pure spiritual milk. By it, you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. In, in other places in Scripture, being an infant in Christ is not a good thing because it means you're immature. 
right? In those places, they're commanded to, to grow up in Christ. Don't remain infants. But here, Peter is indicating something different. And that is having the innocence and dependence of a baby. We have some manly men who go to church here, okay? We do. Where sometimes the is a sufficient answer rather than like a word, right? You doing okay? But Peter's whole point is that in our utter dependence on the Word of God, we would be tender-hearted toward one another. You can't be hardened and dependent at the same time. Those are, those are contradictions. No, to the degree that you are dependent on the pure spiritual milk, the Word, like a baby, is a dependent... is will be the degree to which you reflect a tenderness toward other believers. The degree to which you're dependent on the Word of God will be the degree to which you're tender-hearted toward other believers. What that looks like is you extend the benefit of the doubt. That's important. You, you don't give them the worst motives. You try to give them the best possible motive. You don't make haphazard accusations. You consider their preferences or their point of view. How they come from a different generation, a different background, different culture within a culture. You strive to make them look good even to your own detriment. That's what it means to be tender-hearted toward other believers. And innocent toward innocence of evil. Holy community is a, a tender-hearted community. Secondly, a holy community is an otherworldly community. It's otherworldly. Peter continues in verse 4. As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter, I mean, the, these verses, I mean, just in verses 4 to 5 here, but also 6 to, um, to 9 and 10, he peppers these verses with Old Testament references. I mean, they are all over the place. And not just the quotations. What's important to, to note among all these references is that Jesus takes uh, what was true of Israel in the Old Testament and applies them to Jesus in the church now. So let's make a few observations here. The first is this switch that Peter makes, right? In verse 3 he says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, Lord God, Yahweh. And then in verse 4 he's still referencing Him. He says the switch from Lord in verse 3 to Him as a living stone. It's subtle, but this is highly Christ-centric, right? The same Lord that we taste is good. A reference to Yahweh, Peter now identifies as Christ. A living stone rejected by men. This Jesus, right? This Lord is rejected by men. And then the whole metaphor, right, about this living stone being rejected, this is a metaphor for His crucifixion and His resurrection, 
Though he was rejected by men, he is a living stone. The living stone. Chosen and precious in the sight of God. And in the same way, in the same way, you yourselves, the church, are like living stones. So what this means is that what is true of Christ is now true of the church. What is true of Christ is now true of the community of believers. And what that means is, if it was true that Christ was rejected by men, then it will be true of the church to be rejected by men. Being rejected by the world. The life of Christ is the pattern for the church. We also are despised by many. And even though we're despised, we are chosen and precious in the sight of God. We are promised vindication just like Jesus was after His suffering. And the reason that this is so is because the church, just like Christ, is otherworldly. To be a, a holy priesthood means a number of things. Right, Peter says here to be a holy priesthood means to offer spiritual sacrifices, right? Which what will suffice to say right now is living in conformity with God's will. But to be a holy priesthood also means we're weird. Israel in the Old Testament was a weird place. If you take the Old Testament laws and compare them to the laws of other nations at that time, Israel stuck out like a sore thumb. I mean, big time. I, I don't, I'm convinced that some of the laws didn't have these deep meanings behind them, right? I'm convinced that some existed just to make them look different. Why couldn't they eat shellfish? Maybe it was because of health reasons, but it possibly could be that God was just making his people look different. This weirdness of, of Israel and the Jews persisted so much that when the Black Plague hit Europe, it wiped out almost 50% of the population. But the one corner of the population that was untouched were the Jews because of these weird ceremonial and cleanliness practices that they had. It kept them free from germs that a lot of Europeans didn't practice. And so they were so weird and, and it, it didn't touch them that the rest of Europe blamed the Jews. This gave rise to anti-Semitism. But here's what I'm trying to get at. Whereas the Israelites were weird because of their appearance and their cleanliness practices, we are called to be weird because of our holiness. We're not weird based on the way we dress. We're not weird based on what we eat. We're not weird based on like ceremonial practices. We're weird because we're holy. And Peter's point in this whole passage is to encourage the believers to embrace their otherworldly status as priests, even though this means they're mocked and they're ridiculed and never accepted. They're hated and slandered and persecuted. The world can't understand it because it is otherworldly. That's Peter's point in verses 6 to 8. He quotes extensively of the Old Testament here. For it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. 
And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. I take this last part of this passage to mean exactly what we think it means. God has not only chosen and elected believers, as we have seen repeatedly throughout 1 Peter, but He has also determined unbelief and their subsequent disobedience. And if you have questions about that, I'd love to talk about that later. The point is, the Bible emphasizes both God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. It doesn't resolve that for us. It's not revealed for us to know how both are true. But it is revealed that both are true. So so we need to ask, what is Peter trying to emphasize here? Why include this? to show that evil is not outside of God's complete control. This passage functions as a comfort for believers. The rejection that we face, the opposition we expect, the evil in this world is tightly controlled by the God that we serve. So we can be free to be otherworldly and weird because the activity of our oppressors is orchestrated by God Himself in the same way that the opposition of Christ that led to His crucifixion was ordained by God Himself. We can expect opposition because it is determined by God and we can expect vindication because we are chosen by God. In Christ. This brings us back to being otherworldly. You can't expect to be holy and also expect to be accepted. You can't expect to be holy and expect to be cool. What's cool now won't be cool in a couple years anyway. I've seen guys, lots of guys, who, who have mullets right now. Mullets aren't cool. Unless you're Joe Dirt. Only Joe Dirt can rock a mullet, okay? But the point is to show that to live a holy life means to be cool, we forfeit that. And even in America, we've, we've been privileged for a long time now where being a Christian was just kind of the assumption, is the accepted norm. But that status is abnormal in history and in the world right now and in Scripture. What's normal is for Christians to be otherworldly. This leads to our third point. A holy community is merciful. Think on what we just learned and have learned through 1 Peter. We learn that our salvation, our faith in Christ is solely from the hands of God. We did not choose Him. He chose us. In light of this, what 
grace has been bestowed on us as believers. Look at verse 9. But you, you do not stumble over this rock of offense. You do not stumble over the Gospel. You do not reject Christ. Why? Because you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for His own possession. Our sin earns us wrath. That's the only thing we earn. That's the only thing we can work up is more wrath. Instead, we get forgiveness. Our idols make us destitute in shame. Instead, we get a new identity. We should be a condemned people. Instead, we are a rescue people. And Peter takes all of these Old Testament descriptions of Israel and now applies them to the church. We are a chosen race. In the Old Testament, Israel was determined by their lineage from who? Abraham. But now the people of God constitutes those with lineage to Christ. Not physical lineage, but lineage by faith. And this chosen race is not, a, is not a human race. It's made up of both Jew and Gentile. We are a royal priesthood. The, the priests in the Old Testament were determined by their lineage from Levi and from Aaron. And only one priest during one time of the year could approach God. But now we, filthy, dirty Gentiles, are all priests with access to God at all times. If you are a Christian and a believer in Christ, you are a priest. And you belong to the royal priesthood. We, the church, are a chosen nation. America is not God's chosen nation. The church is God's chosen nation. Thank God for America. We belong to an even greater nation. We are a people for His own possession. God doesn't reluctantly save you. God wasn't, didn't have to be begged to save you. God delights to save sinners. He delights to justify you and declare you righteous in Christ. He delights to shower his affection on you, and His love. And He does all of this so that, look at verse 9 again, you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You didn't walk out of sin. God called you out of sin when you deserve to be left there. He showed you mercy upon mercy by bringing you into His marvelous light. And the more deeply that we drink of this reality, the more we proclaim. I often feel really bad for our new puppy, Pepper. We keep her leash at all times. If she's out of her crate, she's on a leash. We're constantly getting on to her for things like jumping and Biting and chewing, even whining to get onto her. Poor little girl just wants to play. 
but she is designed to have a place in the pack. Right? The more firmly rooted she is in her place in the hierarchy, the happier she is. Likewise, the more firmly rooted we are in the gospel, the more joyfully and gladly and freely we proclaim the excellencies of Christ our God. The gospel is an infinite source for us. The, the gospel isn't just a message we proclaim to save sinners. The gospel is a message we proclaim to ourselves every day to save ourselves. We can never drink too deeply of the gospel. Never find our place rooted firmly enough in the gospel. We can never drink too deeply of this reality. Verse 10. Look at verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do not get tired of drinking of this verse. Don't let this verse and its truth be run of the mill. We, we either get this, drink deeply of it, and rejoice in it, or we just miss the point completely. And so I, I mentioned that our point is that a holy community is merciful. And the only way we can be a mercy-giving community is by realizing the depth of the mercy we've been shown. If you truly know the depth of your own sin and the heinousness of it before a holy God, if you truly know what it took to rescue you and help deeply and consistently and entirely God has forgiven you, then you don't fear sin in someone else's life because you know you've messed up just as bad and sometimes worse. I'm not put off by people's sin and by people's messes. It's sad. It's tragic. I wish sin didn't happen, but it does. And I know I've sinned deeply and continue to sin in ways that surprise me. And this is what makes a community of believers merciful. Not a community that judges harshly, but a grace-giving, sin-confessing, burden-bearing community. A community that shows mercy to one another. For lying to one another, we're sinning in ways that we should not. We're getting angry, slandering, evil thoughts, evil words. We're showing mercy. Because God has shown us mercy for all of these things. So holy community is merciful. Finally, holy community is missional. As long as we are drinking deeply of the gospel, of God's grace shown us in Christ, as long as because of that we are proclaiming His wonderful excellencies, we can't help but be missional. So verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds 
and glorify God on the day of visitation. Church, this is our purpose. This is our mission. Our mission is not to be a good community center. Our purpose is not to win Facebook arguments. Our purpose is not to be a dominant force in culture. Our purpose isn't even to fight culture wars. Our purpose is to seek and save lost sinners, just like we were. And so long as that is our mission, we won't conform to culture. Hello, verse 11. And we're not going to fight it as if it's our enemy. Culture's not our enemy. Culture's not something we run away from. Culture's our goal. So long as saving sinners and advancing God's kingdom is our mission, we won't fear the collapse of all of our tiny little earthly kingdoms. The lost people that we see in culture, right, the ones that like get in the way of our peace and prosperity, they are not barriers but opportunities. Sinners are always going to inconvenience you. They'll always get in the way of your personal happiness. Sinners, in other words, are always going to do sinful things that mess things up. And if our purpose is that they might know Christ and His excellencies, how we interact with them and treat them and talk about them is going to look radically different. Holy community is a missional community. Do you know one of the primary places that this happens? Not here. The home. I like to say that Sunday mornings are only a fraction of the life of the church. Because actually very few of us actually get to serve in ways or exercise in gifts, our gifts in ways that, that we like to. Sunday mornings are hugely important. I'll never downplay Sunday mornings. To sit under the word pray, to sit under the word sung, to sit under the word preached is vital. But the expectation of the New Testament is that the activity of this holy community happens as they go about their lives during the week. Where we, mo where we most get to practice being tender-hearted and otherworldly and merciful and missional is in our regular lives. At work, in clubs, not like dance clubs. I don't know, maybe God has called you to do a dance club. I, but clubs, I'll just say clubs, meetings, gyms, homes, together. Doing life together. That's why I want us to read from Matthew 9 earlier. Jesus' primary mode of activity is eating and drinking with sinners. He's in their homes. And he's getting accused of stuff like gluttony and drunkenness and hanging out with prostitutes. Jesus was in homes with his disciples, with believers, and with sinners. So this church, what I want to emphasize right now is that we are called to open our homes to one another 
so that we can be in each other's lives and not just say hi to each other a few hours during the week. And we're called to open our homes to sinners. I mean, what better way to be a part of a, a lost person's life and to say, hey, me and some friends, we get together, we eat, we study the Bible. Do you, you want to join us? We're called to be a holy community because we're already holy in Christ, already completely justified in Christ. Everyone is looking for community. So let's be a people who create community and a people who offer. Lord Jesus, being a part of the church, not a, a part of a building, but a part of a body is a privilege. You have called us to be tender-hearted toward one another. You have called us to be otherworldly to our culture. You have called us to be merciful to one another. You've called us to be missional to the lost. And that happens, Lord, as we share life together. You have not called us to be another just part of the week, another obligation that we do, but to live life together, to eat in one another's homes, to pray, to bear burdens, to confess sin, fight sin together. So, Lord, help us to open our homes, to drink deeply of your mercy that we would extend mercy and be the holy community that you have created us to be, that you have saved us to be, and that you have called us to be. We thank you that you cover our sins and our mistakes. You cover the ways that we sin against one another and the ways that we fall short of this community. Help us to go deeper by your grace with our shared spirit, your Holy Spirit. It's in your name that we pray.